Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk podcast presented by Coors Light. With Charlie Romeliotis, I am Pat Boyle. On this edition of the podcast, we break down the fallout from the investigation this past week. Kyle Beach, his interview with TSN. Joel Quenville stepping aside and resigning in Florida. Kevin Dayoff keeping his job in Winnipeg. And then we get to what's going on on the ice. Losses to Carolina and to St. Louis, despite a fantastic effort from Marc-Andre Fleury. We'll also delve into the Hawks' new interim general manager, Kyle Davidson. What is he all about, and what should the Hawks do? What should be the game plan as they go after a new president of hockey operations? It's all coming up next on the Blackhawks Talk podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste. Filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness. And packaged cold for peak refreshment, because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. All right, Charlie, before we get into uh, some hockey discussion and break down the two games on Friday and Saturday against Carolina and St. Louis, let's let's, uh, revisit the, the fallout from the investigation So uh, Kyle Beach, of course, came forward on uh, Wednesday as John Doe. He uh, he had that lengthy 25-minute interview with uh, Rick Westhead of of TSN. Um, Extremely emotional, uh, extremely raw. uh, But I thought it was so courageous. Um, What were your thoughts as you watched that video? Yeah, I agree. It's one thing to read the 107-page report, and obviously that we all read the report, and it was very graphic and, and detailed and, and disturbing to read. But then you see the emotion behind it when Kyle Beach was going through it and kind of revisiting some of the things that he had went through and, and sharing it publicly and putting a name to, yes. to John Doe. It heightened it significantly for me. And I thought the The one thing that he said in there that really got to me was when he broke down talking about how he apologized to the victim three years later that Bradley Aldridge had sexually assaulted in Michigan. And the fact that he had to apologize for that and and it seeming like seemingly no one else did, um, that just goes to show you how much uh, compassion that he had for, for that other victim. And I thought it was just so courageous from start to finish. It was a very emotional interview. And there's something about, you know, seeing the victim and and hearing them recount what they went through versus just reading it or getting an excerpt from an investigative report that Westhead or somebody else did. I mean, this was um, – there there were so many things. And I I recommend – just as I recommend uh, everyone read the report, uh, again, graphic details in there – but I, I think it's important to revisit 
Kyle's interview with TSN, and he's done other ones this week with CBS Morning News and, and whatnot, but it, I just thought uh, his trust with Rick mm-hmm. and um, his, his account of, you know, how painful it was to watch um, Aldrich continue to, to work and to be a part of the Stanley Cup festivities and talking about, you know, the homophobic slurs that he dealt with. And it was just, um, and, and, and really him saying that, like, he's just beginning to deal with it because he, he had kept it so deep and, and, and uh, in, in the back of his mind for the last 10, 11 years that now that it's finally open, um, that, that there is the healing process is maybe just starting for him. As far as the possible settlement of the lawsuit, you had some information on that the other day. Yeah, so obviously Kyle Beach had posted on his Twitter account, I want to say it was Thursday night, really thanking the fans and the hockey community for the outpouring of uh, support and love that he's gotten over the last 24, 48 hours. And in it, he also said that his battle was really just beginning. And I had reached out to a team spokesperson later that night, and they had confirmed to me that the Blackhawks did file a motion to try to get the, the case dismissed in court hours later on Tuesday after the report was made public. But, but the team insists that it was it was done, the, the motions were done to be in compliance with the court deadline. So it was, it was like more, a legal maneuver. It was a legal maneuver. Like they had to, and so the team confirmed to me that they had scheduled early initial settlement talks with Kyle's representatives for early next week. And so we'll have to see where it goes. Uh, you know, I don't know if Kyle is, um, if he still, if it rubbed him the wrong way, that they still had to file that for legal purposes. But hopefully, hopefully it does get resolved because Danny Ward said in the, in, the, um, prior, in the press briefing on Tuesday that the plan is to try to settle this and, and uh, have a fair resolution between both sides. On Wednesday night, uh, we were told that both Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane went to the Blackhawks and said they, they would like to PR and said they yep. would like to talk. And so they did in the moments after that game to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Look, I'm not going to tell anybody how they need to respond to this tragedy or what have you. And I have too much respect for both of those guys. The only thing I will say is all the reporters and those that were out on social media and whatnot, they were reacting to the Kyle Beach interview that they had watched online. And it broke during warm-ups. So Jonathan Taves did not have an opportunity to watch that. Uh, Patrick was in COVID protocol. He said he didn't, he hadn't seen it yet. Maybe they saw a clip. Maybe they saw a quote or two. I really think it would have done them both uh, service to, to see that first because then their comments about Stan and other people losing their jobs, that might not have been at the forefront had they watched their former teammate, you know, with this outpouring of emotion, describe what he just went through in the last 11 years. Right. You obviously understand the relationship that Jonathan and Patrick had with Al and Stan Bowman, particularly Patrick, who lived with Stan during his rookie year, right? So he had a kind of a personal relationship with him. 
it just didn't feel like the right time to express his feelings on Stan and Al. And, and you know, they, they probably would like a do-over if they did see the interview before um, they did it because it felt like that was an opportunity to really express uh, compassion for the victim and for Kyle Beach. And we saw it earlier in the day. Like, I thought Alex Dabrinkit, what he said was brilliant. There's a reason he's got an A on his sweater. And the fact that Alex Dabrinkit, I think, was eight years old in 2010, like, he showed more compassion than it feels like a lot of the, the players did. Um, I'm sure Patrick and Jonathan would, would, would like a redo uh, on some of the things that they said and because it probably was not the appropriate time to, to really share their feelings on Stan and Al. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman met with Joel Quenville on uh, Thursday for reportedly two hours. Quenville resigned as the, the head coach of the Florida Panthers later that evening. And then Bettman also met with Kevin Dayoff on Friday uh, of the, the Jets. Kevin, of course, was the assistant GM for the Hawks in 2010. And Bettman said that Dayoff was not a member of the Blackhawks senior leadership team in 2010. And I cannot therefore assign to him the responsibility for the club's actions or inactions. So Dayoff remains GM of the Jets. Quenville out, resigned in Florida. If he wants to get back into the National Hockey League, he'll have to revisit that with Bettman. Um, honestly, Charlie, after I read the, uh, the findings, heard what Joel said uh, reportedly in the room in that, uh, that meeting in June uh, in San Jose, and... Um, you know, his job as, as being the boss for Aldrich and whether it was a review that he was writing, maybe not a formal um, letter of recommendation, but maybe it was a job review. Um, I, I thought that honestly was like the, the, the last straw. And, and then, you know, you could tell it, he wrote it after the Stanley Cup because he congratulated him on being a Stanley Cup champion. So, you put that together, and I, I honestly didn't see a way that, even though Joel has, you know, maybe the favorite to win the Stanley Cup, off to one of the best starts in, in, in the league, that he's not going to be behind the bench. Yeah, so when former players started to come out and, and said basically every player knew at the time, I believe that. I just don't know what, like when. And so when we, when we interviewed Jonathan Taves after the game, on Wednesday night, he said, he said, I honestly did not find out about it until the training camp after. And so that kind of seems believable, right? For Joel to come out with a statement earlier this summer and saying, I was first notified this summer. I mean, that's really what, what kind of yeah. what did him in because it just was not believable uh, from a standpoint of what he said in the meeting. Now, I, I will say this, you know, the, the one guy, a, a, lot of, a lot of people, and rightfully so, are getting dragged in the mud um, through all this. And I think John McDonough has to be at the very top of the list of executives that need to be held accountable because if the Wurtzes didn't know, and there's obviously Brent Sopel came out on social media and said he believes the Wurtzes did not know, the buck really stopped at John McDonough's desk. And if it, it is his obligation to report that to the Wurtzes, who obviously own the Chicago Blackhawks, and the fact that he did not, you know, he, he's got to he's got a shoulder most of the blame because you understand that Joel Quinville as head coach had an obligation to I need to help this team win a Stanley Cup and 
not absolving him of any manner because there, there was reports in there that Joel was agitated that this could be a distraction. But John McDonough, as a high executive, it fell on his lap to do the right thing, and he didn't. And even after the three weeks, he still didn't report. I mean, it, it just went straight to he just resigned. The, um, Brad Aldridge resigned. So it was just a mishandling of the situation um, all around, and it's just, it's just tough. And certainly in Stan Bowman's uh, press release, which announced him stepping aside, you know, he placed all the blame at the feet of John McDonough. And, um, you know, we'll see where that goes. I, I think we're going to see Not more. Not only this is the end of it. No, no, yeah. I think we're going to see several more legal actions uh, take place. And... Um, It'll be interesting to see how, how it all plays out and, again, you know, how it affects the franchise and how it affects the fan base. Uh, let's get to the hockey we saw in the last couple of nights. A, uh, a 6-3 loss in Carolina to a, a really complete Carolina Hurricanes team that where the Hawks were giving up uh, several odd man rushes and uh, – you know, they got the first goal of the game. They had a 2-1 lead midway through the first period. But then it was the five unanswered goals. It was really, you know, going to the room down 4-2 to two mm-hmm. after you'd outplayed them, the, you know, the, the majority of that first period that we, we talk about those two goal deficits for this, team's, for this team seems almost like it's a four or five goal deficit. Yeah, they seemingly did everything right going into that game where they scored the first goal. Carolina answers, but then the Blackhawks get the second goal. So they, they held two leads in the first period, and then they somehow go into the intermission down two. And, and Jake McCabe had talked about it before Saturday's game that once they went into intermission down by two and not one, that was deflating because now you're chasing the game against an unbeaten hockey team in their own building, and they are one of the best teams in the league um, and are, are likely going to compete for a Stanley Cup. So when you're on the road and you have two leads in the first period and you're still somehow trailing by two through 20 minutes, that was tough to swallow because I thought they – and they scored two goals on the power play as well. Typically yeah. if you score two goals on the power play, you know, you probably get one or two more at even strength and that's good enough to win a hockey game. But um, they really fell apart quickly. So they end up uh, going to St. Louis on Saturday night and, uh, you know, taking on a, a Blues team that was 5-1 and one and they had not played the night before. Jordan Bennington ends up pitching his ninth career shutout. Special teams played a major role, and this is Tory Krug. The only goal of the game was scored on the power play, and you brought up the point in the Zoom presser uh, Webex, 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 sorry, <laughs> Webex presser, that um, having those two straight penalty kills back to back, and then Jeremy said, and having a PK guy in the box, and each of those times put them maybe behind the eight ball in that situation. Yeah, and it, it was another, it was another um, bad break for the Blackhawks, yeah. where Alex DeBrinket, it was no harm. I mean, it looked yeah. like a hard play, obviously, right. he fell into the boards, but you look at the replay that. His stick just goes right through the skate hole, and it leads to a tripping call. And there was just there was no intent on it, and there, it probably would have been in a penalty if the if you know it's probably right. just the bounces stick off right or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and so it leads to leads to the goal. And, and like, yeah, they they give up a ton of scoring chances, but they didn't give up a 
I mean, I think they, I think they gave up 12 uh, high danger chances. They gave up 19 yeah. shots in the slot. So there were a lot. I guess there were a yeah, lot of high danger chances. The five-on-five five scoring chances were 37-28 in favor of St. Louis. High danger chances five-on-five five were 12-9. Uh, I, I think, and I said this to, to Colby Cohen, I said Mark andres effort, it, it kind of masked some of the quality chances and looks that – but again, I thought they did a – a better job keeping things to the outside, keeping them outside the dots. But when you look at the uh, analytics, you know, th- those are some, some bigger numbers. Right. And, and, and to your point, too, I, I think obviously, yeah, Marc-Andre Fleury probably kept this, you know, St. Louis probably should have scored more than one goal. But I could also flip it on the other sure. side and say the Blackhawks probably deserved more than you know, zero goals, right? right. And, and because they generated a season high in scoring chances as well. But it wasn't in that first period. And, and that's where, right. you know, four shots on goal in that first period. They're passing up shots. Like, Debrinket, has got a three on two. I need him shooting the puck. Um, Dahan got fed in the, uh, in the slot. And, you know, the puck comes off his stick. Kubalik on the breakaway. I mean, there were some, there were some yeah. good looks. But here's the thing. They did get um, more selfish in the second period and shoot first mentality because they ended up with more shots on goal in the first minute and a half of that second period than they had in, in the first 20. Yeah, they had four shots on goal in the first 60 seconds of the second period, so it matched the entire total. And then the fifth shot on goal was actually like a high-danger scoring chance. So, so you're right. They, they could have – it would have been a great opportunity for, for them to, to kind of – get ahead and it's difficult because even if you rewind back to the Toronto game they went up two to nothing like that should have been enough for them especially against a Toronto Maple Leafs team that was very vulnerable yeah like that's a vulnerable hockey team as well and so it's tough because it's so hard you know we're asking the same questions every single day to these players and coaches and they're so sick of moral victories like they they can't at some point you just you just got to win ugly like even if they give up even if they're outshot by 20, yeah. just get a win. Feel good about and, something. And that's, that was what I took away from Marc-Andre Fleury. Like the, the, the defeat, the, defeat, the uh, just exasperated by the, the, uh, the situation. You know, like as I said to Colby on the postgame show, like this isn't what he signed up for, right? right? You know, he, he, he took a couple days to think whether or not he wanted to accept the trade. He believed in the moves that were made in the offseason. He comes here, and, I mean, it's four goal allowed, you know, like his first four starts, and then the six-burger that he gives up in Pittsburgh. Or, no, that was against Detroit. Uh, and he gets pulled. It all blends in right now. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was against Detroit. He got pulled two weeks ago on Saturday in, you know, the town that he won three cups in. I mean, like. And then, oh, by the way, his family's trying to get acclimated. Everything yeah. that's going on with this team off the ice, that's a lot for somebody who's just showing up and is a very prideful, proud person for him to go through. So, like, he, you know, he wasn't into the, like, hey, you were close, you only allowed one. Yeah, that was better, he liked. Right. But you could tell. He would have taken a, a 4-3 victory any day of the week. Yeah, exactly. The transition to Chicago, it, it would have masked a lot of flaws or a lot of the difficulties of moving his family here if the Blackhawks were winning, if they were winning games, and it was fun to, to, to play hockey right now. And 
he was asked about this after the game. He's like, can you remember going through a stretch like that? He's like, I think my rookie year, like rookie year, that's like, that's more than a decade and a half and ago. And Debrinkit never remembers yeah. at any level of hockey going through yeah. the futility that this team is going through right now. Right. So you could just see the the dejection on their on their faces and and Mark Andre. I mean, it was so telling. Mark Andre Fleury, like the smiliest man in hockey, he was like, "It's hard to smile around the rink right now, and hard to stay positive." But they're trying, and like at some, like at some point, like I'm going to repeat myself, it's just like they, they just got to win ugly. They just got to get in the win column. Well, they've got Ottawa on uh, Monday. That's probably their, their best shot here as you look at Carolina in town on Wednesday, and then it's a trip to Winnipeg on Friday. Yeah, and there are two winless teams right now in hockey, and it's Chicago and Arizona. And if they don't get a win, there could be a Friday night matchup between two winless teams looking for – their first one of the season. But, yeah, Ottawa's probably their best chance. But even them, they're an underrated hockey team. So that's no gimme either. Uh, Kyle Davidson has been promoted to interim general manager with Stan Bowman uh, stepping down. 33 years of age, started as an intern with the Blackhawks, has worked his way up over the last 11 years. Uh, you know, I, I think we'll find out in the coming days and weeks just, like, how much – uh, of, a, of a shot he'll have at possibly being general manager and what they'll allow him to do while they look for their new president of hockey ops. Yeah, so he's a, he's a bright hockey mind, and he's deserved every promotion that he's gotten within the organization, starting out as a hockey operations intern in 2010. Kind of reminds me of my story, starting here as an intern and, and working my way up. But f- for him... It's, it's a large responsibility for him to handle just one guy. Like, and, and the Blackhawks don't really have a leadership group right now. Like Danny Wirtz obviously is the new CEO, and Jamie Faulkner is the president of business ho- of hockey operations. But there's really no hockey background outside of um, you know, Kyle Davidson. And the day after, obviously, everything went down, Kyle Davidson was, was sitting and watching a morning skate with Brian Campbell and Mark Bernard, who's the, the, uh, the minor league affiliates GM. So... I imagine, um, I don't know what the sense of urgency is to make a hiring, but if I'm, if I'm running the Blackhawks, I'm making a hockey ops hire first. I need someone to, I need someone to oversee the hockey operations department, and then I want that, that person, whoever it is, to hire the general manager because they need to be in cahoots. Need it needs to be a, a tag team effort. You can't hire the general manager first and then the hockey operations department, right, or the head of hockey ops. So we'll see where this goes, but obviously – yeah, it's the more this winless streak goes on, the more you feel like something's got to change and, and the management group needs to collaborate on the decision. Good stuff. Thanks for hanging with me on a Saturday night in downtown Chicago. <laughs> did a nice job on our pre and our intermission and our post and always do a great job on this uh, podcast. Thanks, Pat. It was, uh, it was fun. And um, you put Colby on the spot to join our podcast and he decided to bail on us on yeah. a Saturday night. So yeah. that, that's okay. That's all right. Next time, Colby, Easy. next time. Dash one for that. <laughs> uh, that's going to do for this edition of the Blackhawks Talk Podcast presented by Coors Light. For Charlie Romeliotis, I am Pat Boyle. Thank you for listening. And uh, don't forget to rate us. We'll catch you next time on the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. Did you know that 80% of the grass-fed beef sold in the United States is imported from overseas? It's staggering. That's why I get my meat from GoodRanchers.com. When you buy Good Ranchers, not only are you getting amazing meat, but you're also supporting American farms. 
GoodRanchers.com safely delivers American craft beef, better than organic chicken, and more delivered quickly and safely to your door. Don't play the grocery store guessing game. Know where your meat comes from with GoodRanchers.com. Go to GoodRanchers.com and use the code CHICAGO for $20 off and free express shipping. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.